Hey man, it was good to see you today. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm glad that I'm here. And at the end of our service today, uh, I want to remind you now, we were going to receive uh, the Lord's Supper and we're going to do it a little differently today. So I'll warn you now, if you're online watching, thanks for being here. I want to invite you now to go get some crackers and juice or milk or water, whatever you need, some banana bread, whatever it takes uh, at home to participate with us. Uh, but today we're actually going to uh, stand uh, in an orderly fashion and come to the tables uh, at the end of our service. Uh, you'll receive real bread and a real cup uh, here, and it's going to be in a unit, so you're going to take one thing and when we're all done, when we're all seated again, I'll come up and walk us through it. But it's a very gentle touch to remove this. So if you tried to squeeze or pull hard, it's not going to work like the Chinese finger thing. It's not going to work, okay? So I'm going to tell you now, tell you again later. And because I forgot in the last service, every time we do Lord's Supper, we take a benevolence offering. So you guys are going to have to give twice as much uh, because I forgot to mention it in the first service. Uh, but on your way out today, I'll say it again. Uh, there's baskets at the door uh, to help those who are in need so that we can be a good neighbor. Uh, well, today... Uh, we're shifting uh, gears a little bit. I would say we're pushing in the clutch and uh, going from uh, third to fourth or fifth to sixth these days uh, if you drive a standard shift car. Uh, they're all six speed. And I went to the car show yesterday, so that was a lot of fun. But uh, we're going to continue our kind of Let's Go series, but we're going to shift a little bit to remind us, for those that have been around for two years uh, or more, uh, that two years ago, around this same time, uh, we launched a little something called Prepare the Way. Uh, it was our, uh, the capital campaign name for what our vision is all about, to create disciple-making missionaries uh, who strengthen families and love neighbors. Uh, so our Prepare the Way initiative was all about loving our neighbors and creating a space for our neighbors. It's why we remodeled our sanctuary. It's why we uh, put a parking lot out front. Uh, it's why we want to uh, build an actual front door to our church called the Commons and extend our worship center to have a little larger lobby uh, so that when neighbors come, uh, they have a place to connect and for us to connect to them, a place for you and I to build relationships and those kinds of things. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about that. Uh, maybe one or two of you got in the mail already a brochure uh, about what we're doing and kind of relaunching all this. The rest of you, uh, because our mail is wonderful, uh, we'll get that this week, I'm sure. And uh, it'll kind of tell you more about it. But today, I want us to, to focus uh, our attention again on, on why uh, we want to do all these things and why we have done some of these things already. It's because we're called to love our neighbors. And, and as I think about people in, in my sphere of influence uh, and your sphere of influence, uh, this is true throughout time, that there are really three kind of big questions in life. Uh, people ask three big questions in life. Uh, where did we come from? Is there life after death? I almost said it like it was asked in the passage today. Uh, is there life after death? And what is the meaning of life or what is my purpose? Those are the three big questions, sort of three big philosophical questions about life. Where did I come from? Is there life after death? And what is the meaning of life? And today in Luke chapter 10, if uh, it'll be a familiar uh, passage for some of you, uh, the phrase that we get from this passage is actually used as a modern idiom. Uh, it's the passage of Good Samaritan. It's Luke chapter 10. But even when you see on the news or read on the internet, when someone does 
does something nice for someone who is in need or is hurt, that person is called a good Samaritan, even though they're not Samaritan. They're American, probably. And as we look today at this passage, uh, we're going to see what does it mean for us uh, to be a neighbor? What does it mean for us to treat our neighbor with love and respect and kindness, kindness and compassion? And what is the answer uh, to those questions uh, about the meaning of life and is there life after death? So if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 10, we're going to begin verse 25 and read all the way to verse 27, or 37, all the way to 27, Whew. Uh, all the way to 37 today. Everyone awake today? Okay, that's, I was a little nervous because i just making sure. Luke 10, 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. This lawyer wants to put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, meaning the lawyer, Desiring to justify himself, I know none of us have ever done that, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so Jesus goes on to tell him this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring, oil and, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer answered, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. I applaud this lawyer in some ways. He, he wanted to see what Jesus was all about. And there's lots of folks in our world, in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, at our workplaces that want to see what Jesus is all about. They're not quite certain of who he is, uh, what he's all about, what he wants to do, and what his mission or purpose is. And so in some ways, I applaud this lawyer for at least approaching Jesus and asking him one of life's most important questions. How do I inherit eternal life? That's the, is there life after death? That's that question. How do I inherit eternal life? How, how do I live forever? How, live forever? How do I conquer death? The, the challenge with the lawyer is the same challenge you and I face, whether you are a follower of Christ or not. Is that rather than actually listening to the response, 
rather than just looking at what God calls us to do, to do, we want to find the loophole. We want to discuss the minutia. We, we want to find a way out or around or over or a way to excuse our behavior and our actions and our belief. And so this man is trying to do that. And when he asked his question, what must I do to in inherit eternal life, at least in one way he got the question right, unlike the rich young ruler we looked at a few weeks ago who said, what must I do, what good deed must I do to inherit, to, to receive eternal life? Well, at least this lawyer knew that you can't do anything to get to heaven. You have to receive it. It's a gift. Just like your inheritance when a family member dies, you didn't earn that. They gave it to you. So at least he has that part right in his questioning. But Jesus does something that all of us hate when we ask a question. When you and I ask a question, what would we like to have happen? An answer. And what does Jesus do? He asks two more questions back to the guy. Everyone's favorite response. Don't answer a question with a question. I know I've said that a lot in my life. He said, what's written in the law? And the more important question of these two that he asked is, how do you read it? And maybe it should be, have you read the law correctly? It's probably the better way to say it. Have you read it right? Have you, have you read it in the way that you're supposed to understand it and live it out? And so the lawyer, smart guy that he is, intelligent, he says the right answer. Love God, God with your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind. Love God with all of who you are, all of your being, love God. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. That's what Jesus says in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 5 is where he gets part of that. And Leviticus 19. So the guy knew his Old Testament. And he gets those two verses, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, great job. You've got it. You're correct. You're right. Do this and you will live. So Jesus' answer, pretty simple. Love God perfectly and love your neighbor as yourself perfectly. If you can manage that, you're in. God will welcome you with open arms into heaven. You will live forever. Just be perfect. Easy. I got this. And so the man, like with all the rest of us, would be like, hmm, okay, I'm not sure I've gotten that one right all the time. Some of the time, I'd probably be passing if it was a test. 70 for sure. 85 on a good day. Like, surely God will let me in. So the man tries to justify himself. Because in his mind, he thinks he's got the first one down. Or he would have asked about that. He didn't ask about loving God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Perhaps he assumed he did that pretty well. What he struggled with, and maybe what some of us struggle with, is loving our neighbor as ourself. And so he asked the all-important question, Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? 
Because I wonder if this man wanted to love God, but he wanted to pick and choose his neighbors. I wonder if he wanted to show honor and reverence to God, but he wasn't quite sure if he liked everyone else in his life. He was a lawyer after all. Thank you for the one real laugh. But as I think about this man and this concept of love and him asking, who is my neighbor? It shows me that really his life wasn't about love. He saw life about following rules. That as long as I can check a box off that I've loved God with all of him and I've loved the right people, then I'm in. That's not just a challenge for a lawyer in the first century. That's a challenge for 14-year-olds and 64-year-olds in 21st century Tri-County, Southeast Houston. And so let me remind you, church family, that love must be the leading feature of our lives. Love care, compassion, grace, mercy, putting others before ourselves. And most of us, and yours truly most of all, fail at this a lot. That's why we need Jesus. That's why it's not about following a rule. It's about surrendering to him. That only through his power and his forgiveness and his grace can I actually live that out. And when I fail, I trust that his love was perfect. And it covers that sin of mine. But love must be the leading feature of our lives. And when we do that perfectly, we honor our Heavenly Father. But none of us can do it perfectly all the time. We just can't. This man perhaps thought he could. That's why he wanted to define who his neighbor was. And so Jesus tells him that story of the Good Samaritan. We know that story pretty well. There's a man going down, from, down the mountain from Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on a hill. And it's a 3,000-foot descent uh, over 17 miles. It's a pretty steep and treacherous road. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Colorado, up to the ski resorts there in Colorado, or you've driven along I-70 to the, to, to the Vail Summit where the Continental Divide is, and then you've tried to go down that road, well, that road is a 2,200-foot descent over nine and a half miles. It's pretty steep, slightly steeper than what Jericho is. That's why you see on the side of the road those gravel and dirt kind of runaway zones for all the truckers who lose their way, most of their brakes, so that they can crash into the into the sand and not into the back of your suburban. But it's a steep and treacherous path that this man is on. It's rocky, it's narrow, even today, as a modern road, it is steep. And so he's walking down this and he gets jumped by these men and they rob him and leave him for half dead. So a, a priest walks by, a descendant of Aaron, from Old Testament. And he 
steps to the other side of the road and goes around him. The one guy that everyone expects to love him, the priest, walks beside him. Like the person we would expect. He doesn't love him. Then the Levite comes by. That's like the assistant to the priests. A descendant of guess who? Levi, very good. It's no, no trick questions today. Levi, like in our case, would be the deacons. An assistant, the, the person who comes along and serves and helps. And what does he do? Walks on the other side. And then this third man comes along, a Samaritan. And I'm confident that as soon as Jesus said the word Samaritan, that lawyer put his hands over his ears because he didn't want to hear that word. Because Samaritans were despised, hated by the Jews. And the feeling was mutual. They were a mixed race. And the people of Israel despised Samaritans. But Jesus uses an interesting word here about what the Samaritan how he feels. He says in verse 33 that when he saw him, that means the man on the side of the road, he had compassion. That's the same word used to describe Jesus' feelings when he sees the multitude who are like a sheep without a shepherd. We see it all over the book of Matthew that Jesus had compassion. It's this heartfelt desire to rescue, to deliver, to bring hope to, to guide it's a compelling feature of who Jesus is, and he says it about this man from within. And amazingly, just like the Samaritan, Jesus loved and cared for and brought compassion and mercy and healing to a lost and dying people, and he was despised for it. And so, though we should be like the Samaritan, Let's remember that Jesus was like the Samaritan. The Samaritan is a picture of who Christ is. The one who steps into our world, our broken and destroyed world, and he brings us up and brings healing. And so this man bandages his wounds up, pours oil and wine on it to bring healing like a salve he sets his on his own animal and takes him the rest of the way down, which means he walks the rest of the way. He walked the rest of the way so the man could ride on his animal down this narrow, steep path. He gets to the hotel, and he has the innkeeper look after him, pays him some money. He spends the night. And the next day says, hey, if there's anything more, you let me know, I'll be back. And so, what does it mean to have compassion on our neighbor? What does that look like? Well, in this case, it looked like bandaging the wounded. It looked like carrying someone to town at my inconvenience. It meant that he used his own money to get the care that this man needed. It means that he detoured his schedule, spending the night, departing, and then returning to that same place to make sure the man was okay. 
And he followed up so that he could pay the bill. That's what compassion looked like in this moment. Detouring his schedule, costing him financially, changing his plans, helping him when maybe he wasn't an expert in that field of medicine. So I wonder, what does it mean to have compassion on our neighbors? Because most of them haven't been robbed and left half dead. If they have been, change neighborhoods. Or even better, pray for your neighborhood and be a light in a dark place. Maybe that's even a better way to be a neighbor. But most of us live in neighborhoods and go to schools and workplaces that most of the needs are not visible. They're invisible. And so how are we having compassion on those in our community, those who are our neighbors? Last week, I I shared with you uh, on the screen that our community, our greater kind of southeast Houston, has 170,000 people living in it. But what I didn't share is that within a seven-mile radius of our church, there's 61,000 people living within seven miles of our church, 61,000. That's a lot of people uh, within seven miles of our church. And and I wonder, of those 61,000, who are our neighbors? And before you get real spiritual and say all of them, I want to show you where you live on a map. I shared this with our church two years ago, but this is us. Uh, Some of you didn't make the map because you live at the extremities, but most of you are on here. That's the church with the blue cross, as you might imagine, because we're super creative. But that's the beltway at the top, FM 517 at the bottom, Bayou Wildlife, you know, farms there. Uh, Bucky's, everyone's favorite stop there at 35 and 517. Uh, Tanger Outlets made it just below on the right. Uh, 35 to the, e- to the west, 45 to the east, that's where we live. 61,000 people approximately in that little zone. That's a ton of people. More than probably most of us would ever imagine that we would reach. But I wonder, what if we reached 1% of that 61,000? What if we said, I'm going to be a neighbor to 1% of that 61,000? That's 610 people. These past couple of weeks, uh, we've been doing a lot of updating of our check-in system and all that stuff. And probably if you checked in today for Sunday school with your name badge, all that's a part of it. And and we've learned that, that we have... Guess how many active members, that doesn't include children and that thing, but people have actually joined the church, they're baptized, they're a part of their, guess how many church members actively we have? Just guess, based on 1% of 61,000. 600 is a great guess. We have 613 and about probably nine more after this morning because they're going through membership class in Building B, uh, which is exciting. Now, that doesn't include children, preschoolers, but God might have just worked that out for us. 
Because we have about 750 really or so folks involved in the greater life of our church. But what if we just reached one per person of active members for the sake of the gospel and said, I'm going to make, this is my neighbor. And I'm going to reach them for the sake of the gospel. What if it was 2% and we ended up with 1,220 people that were reached for the sake of the gospel? Not all those folks are going to make it in these doors because that's not the point. The point is to transform our community with the gospel by loving our neighbors. And so what if we said, I'm going to love my neighbor because I want to be a disciple-making missionary. I shared with you last week the vision of our church that we prepare and send disciple-making missionaries who strengthen families. We want to have strong families. We want to love our neighbors well like the Good Samaritan. And we want to transform the community with the gospel. And we do that by being disciple-making missionaries ourselves, actually going out into the community and loving our neighbors by learning and growing and becoming more like Christ. Go and do likewise, right? That's what he tells this guy. By connecting with, with partners in our community, the school districts, our police force, our, our city government, businesses, saying how can we bring the hope of the gospel to us? And then when we actually reach some of those and some of, them, some of those folks say, hey, I'd love to connect with you and go with you to church, then we've got a space for our neighbors so that you and I can interact and develop relationships with one another and grow strong, spur each other on in the faith as the New Testament tells us. That's why we're doing things like the Commons and the Welcome Center. That's why we bought the 209 property, that beautiful brown building out there that we have plans for. That's why I have a parking lot now that people can come in so that, hey, it's obvious that when you come here, we've expected you. We want you to be here and not just come by like you visit the Grand Canyon. No, we want you to be a guest in our home and we want you to find a home here. And I know that as I look at that map, Ben, if you'll put that map back up there, you see that southern part of the map when there's no dots there. Because not very many people live, particularly on that western side. It's growing on that eastern side, closer to 45. My prayer is that some of us would at some point say, I'm not just going to be a disciple-making missionary in my neighborhood, but I might move neighborhoods so I can help start a work where people are growing, where, where population is growing and see a difference because Highway 99 is going to come in through there. I mentioned last week all those roads in Westover Park and Westwood uh, and Mag Creek are all going to end up connecting to 517. And we see growth and growth and growth of neighborhoods and people in that zone. Do we have a vision to see a new neighbor, a different neighbor, by planting a church? That's what God's called us to do. And two years ago, we launched this initiative called Prepare the Way to help us achieve that, to, to do some of these things, remodel our sanctuary, build a parking lot, uh, create a real front door to our church called the Commons, and, and extend our foyer here so a little more space to interact, to host events, to do different things, so that when we're out there among people, being a good neighbor, being a great neighbor, not just like Jake and Mr. Rogers, but loving people with the gospel, it would have a place for them to find a home. 
And so two years ago, we had a goal of raising $2.75 million. And you, through your generosity, actually exceeded that to $3.2 million in your initial gifts and pledges. And for the last two years, we've been doing that mostly unannounced. Like, we haven't talked about it since May of 2020 because of the pandemic. But as I shared last week, we've raised $2.6 million. We have $2.6 million in the bank right now because of your generosity. We believe to, to finish this project and to look ahead to some new things is going to take a few more dollars so that we can pay cash for our commons and the worship center extension. And so starting afresh, if you've given in the past to prepare the way you had a pledge, whether that pledge is finished or not finished, uh, we're going to wipe the slate clean and start brand new and look forward to the next two years with the hopes of raising $1.4 million over the next 24 months. I was going to do 1.5 in 15, but everybody thought I was crazy because that's a lot of money uh, in 15 months. But 1.4 in 24 has a little ring to it. You can remember that. But it's going to take all of us to make that happen so that we can complete the commons and the extension and look ahead to what we're doing out front, what we're doing related to church planting, and to prepare the way for us to really reach neighbors and people who we don't know. And so in the mail this week, you're going to get a brochure that explains a little bit of that. You're going to get a commitment card. If you were here two years ago, it looks very similar, just like this. On the back, it has some different information. But we want to prayerfully raise those funds so that we can pay cash for the commons and the Welcome Center Extension and look ahead to see what God would have us to do when it comes to this church planting, when it comes to, to what we're going to do with the 209 building so that we have true frontage on 518. God's called us to do that. But before any of that happens, or maybe while all that happens, I want us to be a good neighbor to our classmates to our friends, to our next door neighbor, to the people at work. I want us to be a, a true neighbor that loves. I want us to be people who never lack in mercy. That's what God's called us to be, people of mercy. Our world is filled with people who react in anger and frustration and privilege and right. May we act in mercy as a people of God. May we be the one who showed mercy. Let's go and do that. Will you pray with me?